This podcast is sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry. Admittedly, we've taken a mini sabbatical, but I'm Matt MacArthur, and we are happy to have you back for a new season of Asia Securities Finance Monthly. Coming up on this episode, we sit down with legend in the market, Valerie Rossi, to discuss Pazzo's diversity and inclusion agenda. And we put some of the industry's future stars under pressure in our new five for five segment. More on that a little later in the show. For season two, we'll begin with a look back at our recent industry conference that took place in Tokyo back in early March. Just for some context for all the listeners that have never been, our annual Pazla conference is the collective sun in our APAC securities finance universe. I would even consider it a state of the union for our industry. And as always, I realize this is basic attention economics. So we've packed today's show with an all-star lineup to not only recap the greatest hits from the conference, but to add a little background to what exactly makes our annual conference so important to our securities finance world. We have with us Zubair Nizami, Brown Brothers Harriman, based in Hong Kong. And it's a pleasure to welcome back Amiko Ida, Mizuho Securities, Tokyo. Now we have a lot to choose from here, so let's nosedive right into it. Zubair, hopefully I stick the landing on this one, but one of the biggest topics at the conference was the structural and regulatory changes in South Korea. Are these quote unquote changes a foregone conclusion? And is there any rough timeline? And most importantly, what's the overall impact? Thanks, Matt. Yes, very topical. It came up in the conference this year in March 2023, and also in many discussions in the industry. These are changes that were announced by the South Korean authorities, really to improve foreign investors' access to trading in the South Korean markets. And with this, there's a view to being added to the MSCI's Developed Market Index. As many of our listeners may recall, South Korea missed out on being added to this index in 2022. So they're very determined to be added in 2023. I'll just highlight some of the more important proposed changes. There are quite a few, but the four that I want to highlight, firstly, the need to increase corporate governance standards for listed companies. And here, the authorities are going to require companies to publish their disclosures in English for the benefit of foreign investors. There's another proposal to abolish the investor registration system to make it easier for foreign investors to participate. There are various other operational enhancements being mooted, for example, improving the current omnibus trading structure to become more efficient. But lastly, and probably more relevant for many of our listeners, is the proposed resumption of short selling across the whole wide spectrum of securities in South Korea, not just for the KOSPI 200 and KOSDAQ 150 indices. Now, net-net, will the changes you mentioned be good for the securities finance world? Absolutely. I believe that on the aggregate, these will be much more beneficial for the securities finance industry. The resumption, the full resumption, rather, of the short selling for all securities will be a great benefit for many industry participants, but also just the broader improvements in terms of operational enhancements and improving corporate governance standards will be a positive for the wider investor base in South Korea. And from the Department of History repeats itself, it does seem like we run into Korean regulatory changes maybe a little too frequently. Hopefully, with all the points you mentioned, Korea stabilizes and becomes more user-friendly. And as an industry, we can avoid further regulatory pain points. Now, help me with this logic pretzel. What is 
an agency swap? And why is synthetic lending so in vogue? Is everyone doing it? And do we have a time frame for when agent lenders will actually go live? I would say it's being really driven by a combination of factors. One, for banks to become more balance sheet efficient or reduce their risk-weighted assets, especially in, in light of rising costs as it relates to indemnification, for example. And at a high level, synthetic transactions are treated as off-balance sheet transactions. So for the agent lender, the RWA savings could be quite material. It also has another objective in providing access to less established SBR markets, for example, mainland China or Indonesia, for two examples in the region. However, it is not without its challenges. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And certainly in this case, the agent lenders will need to establish a robust technology solution from the front end right into the full life cycle of a swap transaction. Typically not in the wheelhouse of an agent lender's business, but it will require some technology infrastructure build outs. And it'll be interesting to see how many agent lenders succeed in this. Now, if we wanted to, we could make this into a six-season Netflix drama, but hopefully we won't. Any head or tailwind highlights you heard from this year's conference? I'd say there's probably three that I wanted to highlight. One, there's potential developments in the SBO framework in China in 2023 or 2024, whether that's through the onshore SBO scheme or through the Connect scheme. There are various discussions that PASDA is involved in with some of our partner associations and the regulators and exchanges to help bring this to a more scalable solution for offshore or foreign investors. So I'd say that's a real positive. There's a lot of good discussion happening around that space. The Korean proposed changes to its framework and operational efficiencies that mooting and proposing in 2023, that's going to be a positive. And I'd say just broadly speaking, the increase in lending demand across a number of markets in Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, for example, that we've seen so far in 2023, that is a real positive. And I think those are some of the tailwinds for the industry. I'd say some of the headwinds, though, are more global. Costs are rising. The cost of indemnification is becoming quite expensive, especially in the more low-margin trading activity. So there are various trade structures that are being proposed and discussed, whether it's agency swap or synthetic transactions. That's going to be something that's going to be more uh, as a headwind for, for many participants in 2023 and beyond. And as we know, geopolitical tensions are ratcheting up and how that impacts various markets and just the general business environment is something that we all have to take into account as we operate in this year. Now, let's play Hamlet here for a second. In your opinion, which of these is the most important? I'd say I pick one tailwind. The more important one for us in the region, uh, some of the proposed changes in Korea, so to the market structure and the benefits they will bring as a whole to the industry. So not just securities finance, but generally speaking for investors. But the headwind is really about capital constraints for banks and how banks navigate some of the costs around RWA, indemnification, and become more cost efficient. So that's going to be something that we'll have to keep a close eye on. Now, Amiko. This year's conference in Tokyo set a record for the number of attendees. What was the reason for the record turnout? Uh, hi, Martin. Thanks. Um, it has been four years since last puzzler, so people are quite keen to have this opportunity to catch up with clients and counterparties in person. And in addition, puzzler has been a good place to get latest information, color on industry, 
and market trends and network with prospective business partners from around the globe. Due to these reasons, and March being a great time to visit Tokyo, and unfortunately the cherry blossom wasn't ready at the time actually yet, but uh, I believe companies thought it was a great opportunity for international institutions to plan a business trip to Tokyo around Pasla. Moreover, in recent years in Japan, retail interest in non-Japanese stocks has increased significantly, and in general, Japanese market participants are more open to global securities, so global connectivity has become increasingly important. Therefore, Puzzle Labs are also great opportunities for domestic institutions. Now, you were the moderator for a panel discussion on Japanese securities finance. What were some of the takeaways, and was there anything that you learned a uh, lot of good takeaways from panelists. I would pick up a couple of things. I could confirm that Japan is still a very liquid and stable market, and it is actually expanding. Collateral optimization is one of the key drivers for that. It is a long-term trend that collateral optimization may provide greater efficiency on the supply side, and it is potentially driving down costs for borrowers. Especially under a low-interest market environment, Japanese yen and Japanese stocks are a decent source of liquid for anybody in the market. Asset owners, traditionally holders of substantial amount of securities, are increasingly joining into security lending market to take advantage of demand and capture value from holdings. Another interesting comment was that under QE regimes of central banks, also during the pandemic, liquidity had not been a key challenge. But as global markets are following or may follow the U.S. lead into quantitative tightening, liquidity is likely to change. So uncertainty surrounding the pace and timing of interest rate changes is also potentially to contribute to greater demand for securities lending. Any other recent trends in Japan? And did having the PASLA conference in Tokyo help connect the Japanese domestic market more closely to the offshore market? DX is also a keyword in Japan. Japan is not an exception to pursue more efficient, advanced, and convenient ways to access more business opportunities. So one example is that tri-party and trading platforms like NGT has quite rapidly developed and attracted a decent number of Japanese users. So investors' trends like quant trading and high-frequency type of trading could also be quite impactful, where a greater number of smaller tickets are often seen for trading activities. So people need to upgrade their platform also to manage these increased volumes. So it would encourage brokers and banks to implement more IT enhancement. Regarding the connectivities, along with collateral activity increase, domestic participants are becoming more aggressive to be connected to overseas market. So also Japan presents as a provider of funding and HQLA and JGB is provided by many domestic market participants who allow for a wide range of eligible collateral. So that fact that domestic participants are allowing many overseas instruments as collateral, that is contributing for the need to closely connect with overseas market. It's obvious that this year's PASLA was a success. How do you think PASLA events and activities can become more influential in Japan? Uh, Japan-based market participants are generally very interested in PASLA and its event these days, but companies that are registered with PASLA are limited to six companies at the moment. I believe that connectivity from Japan to global, it has been more important, so we will be able to see more people's interest in PASLA and other industry activities across APAC and global. So we still can see potential growth space 
about connectivity and business opportunity in Japan. So Puzzler and its Japan Working Group will consider how we can deliver more here. For example, like uh, diversifying the types of financial institutions as participants by inviting um, more insurance companies, regional banks, and others that are active in equities, gubbies, and structured financing. Now, Zubair, you've been on the Puzzler board three different times over the course of the last dozen years. It seems to me that the Puzzler board is trying to give you a gentle hint. No, but on, but on a serious note, how has Pazla evolved over time? You're right. This is my third stint, and uh, I just couldn't resist it uh, to to come back onto board and help contribute to the growth of some of the markets in the region. Uh, it has completely transformed itself from when I first joined in 2009. I'll give you some examples of some of those changes. For the start, we're a much better organized association. We've got more discipline in our approach. Uh, an example of this is that we have 13 working groups simultaneously working on various market-specific or industry-level initiatives. This has given us a clear structure of leadership, and we have to deliver on goals for the board. As an organization, we're also engaged with the media. We have a long-term strategy with the media and a partnership with an external media consultant called Ashby Communications. What this has meant is that we're more proactive rather than reactive. And we have been quoted in several major publications in the past few years, commenting on topical issues impacting our industry. This was not something that would happen back in 2009. Another initiative that PASA has been working on, and which I've seen has been great, has been the collaboration we've had with various industry bodies. For example, as it relates to ESG and the setup of the global framework for ESG and securities lending, so the GFESL. As many of our listeners will be aware, we have, as an industry, now have practical guidelines or standards that enable market participants to manage their ESG governance standards from a securities finance perspective. Uh, and finally, we've been very organized in terms of organizing webinars, podcasts like this, for example, some of the wonderful ones that you've hosted in the last year or so. These have been very important, especially during the pandemic where in-person events were canceled. Amiko and Zubair, it's been a pleasure. And as always, we appreciate your time and thoughts. Thank you again. Our next guest is an industry legend in her own right, who continues to trailblaze a path for equality and inclusion. And it just so happens, she's one of the most knowledgeable and respected securities finance traders in Asia. Valerie Rossi, ABN, here in Hong Kong. Welcome, Val. Hey, hi, Matt. We did have incredible timing this year, as International Women's Day just happened to fall during the Pazlet Conference, which was a helpful coincidence. And we did have Jack Chang on the podcast a few months ago, and he mentioned a good point, that the hardest part is to get non-members to join and rally behind the cause. That being said, how do we as a securities finance industry help promote equity and inclusion? Well, look, Matt, securities finance is no different to any industry. Diversity, equity and inclusion is a critical component to any firm's success. DEI contributes not only to accelerated growth, innovation, creativity, but also employee engagement, amongst other things. Did you actually know that according to the World Economic Forum, diverse teams' performance outweighs homogenous teams? This is why in 2020, Pazla launched the Pazla Inclusion Network, 
also known as PIN. Our objectives are clear and simple. We create an environment where PASMA members and its community can come together, where we can bring our own views and feel respected with no boundaries. It's a network to exchange ideas, to unlock hidden talent and raise awareness. We listen to our members and the securities finance community for their needs to ensure that we respond to the industry requirements. Now, how did our industry help celebrate International Women's Day during the Pazla Conference in Tokyo? Well, on the 8th of March, on International Women's Day, we hosted a breakfast at Tokyo's Pazla Conference for PIN. 40 attendees joined, both men and women from various parts of the industries attended the event. We also had the pleasure of our guest speaker, Yuko Yoshida, Managing Director and Head of Japan Inventory and Client Management. Yuko joined to discuss the challenges for women in the workplace, but in particular in Japan, where the enablement of working women are somewhat lag behind the progress we have seen in other countries. Yuko discussed some of the initiatives taking place, such as working hours and on-site crashes at work. All in, it was a successful event. An open forum for discussion in a friendly and supportive environment, which is exactly the purpose of PIN. Now, what was some of the feedback you got from your event? Well, at the event, we gathered feedback from the attendees on what they would like PIN to deliver. Two main items were highlighted. The most popular was for PIN to hold an additional network event. And next to that, PIN was asked to provide some training on breaking the glass ceiling, but also achieving a work-life balance. And last but not least, any upcoming PIN events that we should look out for? Yes, 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 Matt, absolutely. We will be following up on the request and we are due to host another event in May. We aim to encompass a training session prior to an opportunity for networking. So please stay tuned and I hope to see any interested listeners at our next gathering. Matt, will you join us? Absolutely, Val. It would be my pleasure. Excellent. Thanks, Val. I hope we don't mind if we catch up with you later in the year for an update on your PIN events. And thanks again for your time. Sounds great. Thank you, Matt. In previous podcasts, we sat down with market legends, basically veterans of the market that I've known for 20 years. This year, we've decided to turn the tables and focus on the securities finance stars of the future. We've put together a little segment for recent joiners to the industry. We call it Five and Five, five questions in five minutes. And joining me today for our maiden voyage is C. Chen from Citibank Tokyo. Welcome, C. Hi, thanks for having me today. All right, let's get this party started. For those who aren't familiar with Tokyo, can you give us some city highlights? Maybe your favorite restaurant, a hidden soba noodles place at the bottom of Tokyo Station, or your favorite yakitori spot in Yoyogi, and of course, any recommended tourist spots. Yeah, so I think personally speaking, since I grew up here, Tokyo really changes like every day and every year. So although, you know, things are evolving, there are things that are like this old, um, you know, 
And I think the most famous tourist spots would be the Asakusa Street, where people can experience like the Japanese culture with like the street foods lined up. There's other entertainment spots. For example, you could go watch sumo, or you could even go to like the really famous, I think, the light design entertainment, the Team Labo. That's、uh, I went there. A year ago, and I think I really enjoyed that. So I think I would recommend people to go there. My go-to restaurant would be like a hidden Japanese upscale izakaya, which is kind of located in between、um, Hiro and Ebisu. It's called Sawado. They have really good Japanese food. It's a mix of like old traditional Japanese food as well like a modern infused dish. One thing that I would recommend though to go to like really these like you know popular places, you have to you definitely have to reserve. A lot of places get filled up like two months ahead, so I would definitely recommend people to do that. Now switching gears a little, talk about your securities finance development. Say from your first few weeks on the job to now. And what was the hardest adjustment? The people, the urgency, or even the securities finance language? So I actually used to work at the back office, the middle office for security lendings at another foreign firm. So according to like the speed, I don't really see that much of a difference. But I think the hardest adjustment for me was to get the whole picture, the overflow, back up operations. What I was looking was more of the supplier side. And so I didn't really get to see much of like the client side, the actual demand side. Whereas right now, you know, the client is more of like the hedge funds, as and then the、um, the supplier would be more like a partnership. Although you know, we do consider them as a client, but they are more like of a lenders、um, partner supplier side. So I think trying to like understand terms and like you know. Trying to understand like how like things play a bigger role. Not you try to like internalize firms' inventory, but you try to also like refinance within like a firm boundary, and you try to manage these assets. Now, what is some of the best work advice you've received? And what advice would you give new joiners to our industry? I think always trying to look at the bigger picture. There are always like you know different factors, multiple factors that come into play. I think with trading, you know, internalizing and like financing, we all have to do this within the boundaries given, and so we always have to consider the risk as well as thinking about what kind of like approaches we can do, strategies, and as well as like what is our priority as a firm. The second advice is this is really like regardless of any industry that you're in. To not take things personally, not only in finance, but I feel like I've actually worked in the tax industry previously. But I've learned that once you stop taking things seriously, you worry less and get things done. And people don't really, you know, they don't mean any harm. You just like, you know, it's, it's just frustration. People get frustrated easily, but like obviously you have to get through it, and you know, you have to work with each other. Now I wouldn't be a devil without a classic temptation. Besides trading. What other aspects of securities finance appeal to you? I think being like the middleman between the clients as well as the suppliers, but also you know talking to various stakeholders, not only just externally but also internally. I'm still you know obviously a rookie within the front office side and this、um, product to the business, but I feel like you know there's more to do with the business. There's also like you know different factors that come into play. The regulations changes. You know there's more firm risk adjustments.、So、I feel like you know we all have to like you know. Evolved in the future, and I do think there's the you know places that we can grow and collaborate with other teams to help liquidate the market as well as serve our clients. Okay, we're running out of time here, C. But if you had the chance to cover securities finance from another location besides Tokyo, 
where would it be and why? I personally would think I would like to work in Hong Kong or maybe um, Singapore. Hong Kong mostly is because, you know, they look at literally all the APEC markets besides Japan. And so I think, you know, it would be really interesting as well as challenging to see all like the regulations as well as, you know, how they do things in market with different stocks. So I think that would be an interesting aspect. And for Singapore, I just like the country. I've only been there once, but I like the mixed culture between like the Western and the Asian traditional culture. See, you nailed it. Five minutes exactly. I have to admit, Hong Kong is an awesome city. And if you ever do move here, please keep me in mind. I am always available for a free lunch. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Definitely will hit you up. <laughs> Thanks, C. And we appreciate all of today's guests, their time as well as their knowledge. But to the audience, any comments, suggestions, positive or negative, I have thick skin so I can take the heat. We're happy to take them all on board. And if you need more information on today's topics, please visit the PASLA website where all of the presentations used for the Tokyo conference are available. Thanks again, as always, for listening. I'm Matt MacArthur. Join us again next month for our next episode of Asia Securities Finance Monthly. This podcast was sponsored by Equilend, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry.